Welcome to Garden DC, a podcast of Washington Gardener magazine, all about gardening in the greater Washington DC and mid-Atlantic area. Your host is Kathy Gents, editor of Washington Gardener magazine. This episode, we're joined by David Ellis. He is editor of the American Gardener magazine, the magazine of the American Horticultural Society. Hello, David. Hi, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Thanks for joining me on this windy, blustery, early spring day. So um, let's uh, learn a little bit about you. Um, well, I've been uh, editor of the American Gardener at the uh, working at the American Horticultural Society now for just over 25 years. Um, so uh, they they basically were trying to give me a gold watch uh, uh, last year. Um, okay. But it's it's been an amazing journey for me. I started out as a, a geologist and then became a uh, newspaper journalist for a while, and then tried to find a way to sort of merge my interest in science and um, journalism and uh, went back to school for science communication and ended up uh, uh, editing a gardening magazine. So it was uh, a bit of a circuitous journey, but I always like to say I went from uh, rocks to soil. So it was kind of a natural <laughs> process there. Yeah. And you probably know a lot more about our, our area soils and the best ways to grow in them than most gardeners around here. Well, I wish I could say it was a big help, but uh, I have to admit it. It hasn't always uh, worked out that way. Oh, darn. So um, I was going to ask, so science communications, where was that at? Uh, University of Maryland. Okay, cool. And that's where I went, but in the journalism school, the other track. <laughs> that got us <laughs> to be both editors of Gardner magazines. And when you started at AHS, um, you started in the editor position, correct? I started out as the assistant editor and uh, became editor three years later. And then somewhere along the line, um, they upgraded me to director of communication as well. So I kind of carry both both titles along. Yeah. And these days, editor of the magazine encompasses all types of communications from your website to your social media feed, correct? Yes, at least overseeing it. We have a, a good uh, communications department staff, so um, uh, you know I'm they they do a lot of the the work, and I kind of uh, get the reflected glory. So we've been using the term AHS for American Horticultural Society. Can you tell us a little bit about its history and its mission? Sure, I'd be happy to. We're actually um, coming up on the uh, organization's centennial um, soon because it was founded in um, 1922. started out as a primarily for professional horticulturists, um, but over the years it's kind of evolved into a membership organization really for passionate gardeners and uh, also people sort of involved in the gardening industry in some way, landscape designers, master gardeners, and uh, what I call quasi-professional um, uh, gardeners and horticulturists, but essentially people who are really um, passionate about gardening, um, interested in um, sort of more a little more in-depth information about 
gardening in of various ways, and uh, also interested in gardening that's from sort of a environmental stewardship perspective, which is something mm -hmm. that we've really focused on over the years. Um, and so I think it's just you know it's one of the ways people interact with their environment on a sort of a daily basis, and so. I think it's good to uh, look at how to manage your landscape sustainably. Um, it's, it's an easy way to do it. Um, we just uh, updated our mission recently, actually, and the new mission is to share with all Americans the critical role of plants, gardens, and green spaces in creating healthy, livable communities and a sustainable planet. So a bit of a mouthful, but mm -hmm. hopefully it gets the point across. Yeah, I love that. Sounds great. So... Um... It is a membership uh, magazine. So you actually join AHS and you get this as one of your um, benefits of membership. Right. Yeah, we, we sort of try to focus on it being a membership as opposed to just getting a subscription to the magazine. Because uh, in addition to to the publication, we also have a, what's called the Reciprocal Admissions Program. It's basically um, allows our members to get into uh, – more than 300 um, public gardens, either free or at a at a large discount, um, and they are all around the country. So it's a really good um, benefit for those who travel a lot and tend to go to gardens. And we also offer discounts on seeds, uh, on garden shows, and books. Um, and we have a travel program. And um, being a member also means that uh, you're supporting our national um, outreach programs uh, like our National Children and Youth Garden Symposium, which uh, focuses on um, helping um, kids to uh, learn about gardening and, and spend time outdoors and also on our national awards program. Mm -hmm. So you just held your awards program for this past year, and I think there's some D.C. area winners that were announced Yes, the announcement came out recently for the award winners for 2020, and there were two local winners. One is uh, Nancy Ross Hugo, who's a quite well-known floral designer um, from Howardsville, Virginia. Um, she won our Francis Jones Petker Award, which is for uh, people involved with uh, floral design. And she's also a quite well-known book author. She's uh, written several um, very popular gardening books. <clears throat> And the other one was uh, Landon Reeve, who's the founder and former president of Chapel Valley Landscape Company, which is based in Woodbine, Maryland. Um, and Landon won our Meritorious Service Award um, because he has been a longtime member of our um, board. And his company has been providing maintenance support at our River Farm headquarters for many years, um, including recently helping us find and repair uh, leaks in our area. HS is headquartered at River Farm, which is down the road or up the road, depending on which way you're you're traveling, on the Potomac River near Mount Vernon. What's it like working at a public garden? Um, well, it's a fabulously beautiful location. Um, 20, 25 acres of uh, gardens and natural areas overlooking the Potomac River. So it's, you know, a stunningly beautiful um, place to work. Of course, um, and it's also a site that uh, has a historic um, underpinning because it was once part of George Washington's extensive farm holdings um, in that area there. Um, uh, highlights of the garden include our children's garden, a four-acre meadow, a wildlife garden, a teaching garden. 
And uh, yeah, I, I, of course, right now I'm working remotely, but uh, it's uh, an amazing place to work. So currently, because of the coronavirus, it's closed to visitors, but it's normally open um, and free on weekdays and Saturdays, correct? Yes, uh, it's open normally uh, weekdays, uh, 9 to 5 p.m. And then uh, during the growing season from April to October, it's open on Saturdays from um, uh, 10 to 1 p.m. So it's... um, it's uh, we had to close down, obviously, with the uh, uh, stay at home order from uh, Governor Northam. So right now there's only a skeleton crew of essential employees on site and everyone else is uh, working remotely. Um, of course, we also greatly miss our loyal volunteers who play such an mm-hmm. important role in helping out our staff. And uh, uh, they have had to stay at home as well. Um, Like uh, many other public gardens, we've had to postpone much of our spring educational programming, including our very popular, excuse me, spring garden market, which um, uh, we're postponing until the fall. And we're deferring our other garden programming, too, to resume it as soon as we can. Um, And, uh, you know, as a national organization, we also have travel study programs which are uh, overseas trips. And of course, all of those that were scheduled for spring and summer had to be rescheduled uh, to next year. Um, Uh. Our our gardens also, um, we have a big rental program where we have weddings and other rentals in the facility, which is a major source of revenue for us, um, which we rely on for maintenance of the facilities. And all of those had to be canceled during the peak months for these kind of events. So, um, I think some people tend to assume that River Farm is sort of a state-funded garden, but really while we open, uh, while we offer an important green space to the surrounding community um, for free, we don't receive any state or federal funding whatsoever. So we're entirely supported by membership donations and the, uh, the rental income. So we're currently participating in Spring to Action, which is an online fundraiser to help us survive the loss of revenue from our rentals and programs. So if anyone's interested and would like to support us, they can find a link to that fundraiser uh, on the homepage of our website. And that's AHS online? Uh, it's www.ahsgardening.org. Great. And um, so I'm glad to hear that the, the spring garden market is, is now going to be in the fall. And you were able to reschedule a lot of the other events, but yeah, it's it's sad to hear about the weddings and other events that are normally booked there not not happening in such a gorgeous season. And since you're working from home, what are you missing um, as far as plant highlights and favorites at River Farm? What what at this time of year did you look forward to seeing out in the grounds? Well, you know, obviously the spring bulbs, uh, mostly uh, we so we got to see the early ones before the uh, uh, stay-at-home order came, but uh, missing the daffodils and the tulips and uh, uh, mm-hmm. the final piece of the cherry cherry trees blooming. And uh, right now, um, some of the flowering trees are coming in the, and shrubs, the Caria japonica, um, a Japanese um, Caria, <clears throat> the uh, red buds, the Cercis canadensis, um, service berries are starting to bloom. 
This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. So what other highlights at River Farm are you looking forward to this spring and summer when you can finally get back over there? Well, I know right now the uh, the Caria japonica is blooming, that shrub with the beautiful uh, yellowy-orange flowers that look like little roses, um, mm-hmm. red buds, um, service berries, uh, obviously the tulips. Um, later in the summer, uh, when hopefully... People can actually come and, and visit again um, once we're allowed to, uh, to move about. Um, there'll be um, Vitex, um, which is a beautiful uh, shrub with beautiful purple flowers that uh, we have a, both a uh, shrub form and a tree form of Vitex uh, in our um, yeah. Red River Farm, which is kind of interesting to see. It's more of a southern um, plant, but it's perfectly hardy in the DC area, at least, at least now. Um, yeah. And, I, and we used, I think your Vitex as our cover photo on our August, 2017 Washington Gardener magazine issue. Ah, okay. Well then they should have a good image in their minds of what, it, what it looks like. It, it is quite spectacular and yeah. when full bloom and in summer, our meadow is usually, uh, looking really good. We have a lot of um, grasses as well as uh, um, flowering um, native plants in the meadow. And uh, our horticulture team this year has put in something new. We have a teaching garden and they have installed a keyhole garden and also some new um, composting bins that will be part of the teaching garden for the summer. So we're looking Nice. All right. And I, and I remember that besides the meadow, you have a couple nesting eagles down by the river. Yeah, yes, they are. They were still there this spring at the last time I was there. So hopefully they'll have brought off a a brood (laughs) and, uh, and be um, flying around uh, by the time everyone's able to see them. So. Nice. So uh, in one of your more formal parts of the garden, you have a couple rows of boxwood, correct? Yes, we do. It's yep. it's a little alley um, that's mm-hmm. actually where a lot of people um, get uh, married at River Farm. It's a perfect, uh, nice long alleyway that's a perfect framing for a wedding. Yeah, and I think in this current issue of the American Gardener, you have a rethinking boxwood story that I was reading. Yeah, we had uh, been hearing that a, f- a few botanical gardens, uh, especially in the south, had been sort of reconsidering uh, boxwood plantings because of the uh, issue with boxwood blight that's starting to uh, mm-hmm. uh, hit all the boxwoods in a lot of the eastern areas of the country. So we did a piece about the, the problem with the blight and why it's become an issue for both public gardens and, and also for home gardeners. And we included some uh, potential replacements for boxwood um, so, you know, looking at the other small, slow-growing um, dwarf evergreen plants um, that would get, show have a similar 
shape, a similar habit to boxwood and be, could be used for hedging. So the idea was to give people some alternatives um, if they want to uh, avoid planting boxwood at this point. I have to admit that I've never been a big boxwood fan myself, <laughs> but I, I was interested in the article in that I do get a lot of questions from readers who are trying to save their old boxwoods um, that they've inherited. So it's nice to see some of the, the new substitutes they can use. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that, you know, if you have a, a large formal garden, there's certainly a, a place for boxwoods in it um, or even, you know, for a specimen plant here or there. But there's... Mm -hmm. Plenty of plenty of alternatives now in terms of both small-leaved uh, evergreen um, and broad-leaf evergreens that could be used. Nice. And so let's talk flowering shrubs and trees for spring. Um, so in the D.C. area, of course, azaleas say springtime just almost as much as, as our cherry trees do. Um, are you growing any azalea or rhododendron at, at your home garden? Um, I have a couple. It's um, not as much. I, I had another garden in uh, Bethesda, and there I had a lot of azaleas and, and roadies, and I, I do miss them, but my new garden is largely uh, sunny, which is has its own advantages, but means I don't have as many azaleas anymore. Mm -hmm. And how about your readers? Do you have a common question that you get about azaleas or rhododendrons? Um, sometimes it's a, a, you know, as you said about pruning, pruning them, trying to keep them in scale, um, mm -hmm. and uh, occasionally about uh, petal blight, which uh, can be a, an issue um, at times. So those would seem to be the primary issues we've we've had questions. Yeah, I, I, the great thing about them is they are, you know, pretty much trouble free in our area. They might be a, a bit of deer candy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> for, some, yeah. for some and i think the only other major issue is if you say move into a older neighborhood and inherit some really overgrown uh rhododendron or, or azalea that you need to bring back down to size that would probably be your only other big challenge with them yes yeah, so sometimes because they were used as foundation plants they tended mm -hmm. to grow up and uh, cover the windows which is the problem i had back in my house in Bethesda and I really had to cut them way back in order to be able to actually see out the windows anymore. <laughs> but when they're in bloom, it was still spectacular, right? That view out the window. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so today we had such a windy day. Um, I was looking at my, some of my purple azaleas that were just starting to open and my PJM rhododendrons and honeybees were trying to get into the flowers and meanwhile the winds were beating them back and smacking them against the window <laughs> it was such it was such a sad sight to see because the honeybees are so desperate for for anything right now so um moving on to other spring flowering trees and shrubs one of my personal favorites and i was going to ask you about is the fringe tree which has both a native and an asian form right yeah i haven't grown the uh the asian species i've only grown the um, the native um, one, uh, it's, but it's one I particularly like. I actually have three fringe trees in my yard, and we have a couple at River Farm as well. Hmm. And the, what is the bloom time normally for your for the native fringe tree? Um, it's it's coming in right around now. You know, pretty soon. Usually, mm -hmm. um, late April, mid to late April into early May seems to be the Mid Atlantic uh, bloom time. So. Um, 
Yep. So kind of straight right by my mailbox is the, <laughs> the big one I have. Nice. So listeners can start to be on the lookout in local parks and public gardens at, uh, in the next few weeks for that beautiful fringe tree, which I think some people also call it uh, bearded or old man's beard. Yeah. Yep. And Grand Sea gray beard, I think in the South they call it. Mm-hmm. Yep. So all the same. Um, so in my own garden, I have my early lilacs, uh, maiden's blush, which is a kind of pink form has already opened. And then the main purple one is starting to open. How about in your garden? Yeah, I have some old fashioned, um, sort of, uh, what are probably actually lilac colored lilacs. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, they, they're fairly old and I've had to cut them back quite a bit. So they're just sort of reemerging now, but they are in bud, but not open yet. Um, looking forward to those. It's one of my wife's favorite uh, flowers. Uh, yeah, that, that scent is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Just... I, I have one of the, the old, the newer uh, Bloomerang cultivars, mm-hmm. which not as fragrant, but a little more um, reliable and more compact in terms of its habit. Yeah. And do you get a lot of reblooming on that? Or is it just mainly a flush in spring with just sporadic reblooming? Uh, it is pretty good, actually. It t- tends to go slightly dormant in the heat of summer, but then reblooms a little bit in the fall. Okay. I have a couple that I'm trialing of a, a small pink bloomerang, um, which is a dwarf size. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see that reblooming potential on that. So. I was going to say one of my favorite, and I look forward to every spring uh, flowering shrub and tree, is the red bud, especially mm-hmm. the, the straight native species, which is just spectacular this week in the garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, selections now and a lot of different uh, species as well. So definitely a lot of choice for people, whether you want uh it primarily for foliage or both for the foliage and the beautiful um, flowers that bloom along the stems before the foliage comes out. Yeah, I feel like that the plant breeders have gone a little crazy with red bud. <laughs> so <laughs> there are so many different types. I like the forest pansy, which has like the dark uh, burgundy type foliage once it leaves out and stays pretty nice. I mean, you have to keep it out of afternoon sun. Uh, but it's, it's one of the more beautiful in form and color. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of uh, variety, uh, but I think forest pansy seems to be one of the most reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a beautiful one of those at, at River Farm that I always nice. admire. Nice. So, and what is your opinion on forsythia? I know that's, <laughs> that, that can be a love-hate plant for some people. Um, yeah. There are a few garden writers on no, I won't mention them by name, have called them garish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think they're good in mass. You know, if you have mm-hmm. a, a long hedge or a, a mass of them somewhere, they make a, you know, a spectacular show in spring. And then you know that they're, they're a good, essentially a good ground cover when you use them uh, at that uh, in that scale. So, in that way, I just don't think they look very effective when they're single ones mm-hmm. dotted around the landscape. Uh, I think they they just don't quite do it for me. True, and I think also if they're severely pruned into like a hedge form or maybe placed in the wrong place in say part shade, 
where they're just sporadic little bloomers, then they're, they're obviously, you know, not the best plant. No, yeah, they, they have their limitations, certainly sort of a one season uh, plant, even though they, uh, they will, as I said, be become a, a kind of a large ground cover if you have them tightly masked. Mm -hmm. And they make a nice thicket. And I love to, to cut them early to force them into bloom inside. So, you know, this year it almost seemed like my forcing and the outside bloom came at the same time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but it's been a, definitely an unusual uh, early spring for us. Although I think it'll stay hopefully on the cooler side at nights and we won't rush into summer like we usually do. Mm -hmm. The th one thing I have in my garden is I have kind of a, a color echo because I have the winter jasmine, mm -hmm. jasminum nudiflorum that blooms often in uh, late January, early February, you know, even going into early March. And then as that starts to fade, the forsythias start coming in. So I think it's kind of nice. It look like, looks like it's moving from one side of my yard across to the other. Yeah, that's really pretty. And I know I have the um, Confederate jasmine vine is just starting to bloom, which is very on, much on the early side now. But it's that same bright, cheery yellow mm -hmm. that you get the echo off and a patch of, say, the straight um, epimedium sulfur mm -hmm. might, might yeah. make, a, make a nice combination, too, if you're looking for different spots of cheery yellow to greet the springtime. I think Ledoux. Um, in Moncton, Maryland, has a spectacular yellow garden um, that might even pick up a few more ideas for yellow plants to carry you through the season. Yeah, let's put some magnolias in there if you can find them. Mm -hmm. So any other um, favorite flowering shrubs and trees for spring? Well, one of my favorite, what I'd call small to medium-sized uh, native trees is American yellowwood. Oh, yeah. um, it's Clodrastus contuchia, and it uh, has um, fragrant uh, flowers in very late, sort of late spring into early summer. Mm -hmm. um, the tree itself, you know, can get up to 30 to 50 feet tall at maturity, but it takes many years. And in the meantime, it's a good sort of smallish tree with lovely flowers. It's a leguminous tree, so it also is returning nitrogen to the soil um, there. And it's it has a nice habit, usually uh, becomes rounded as it gets older. Um, mm -hmm. And it's uh, the, the flowers are just fantastic. They tend to droop in large clusters. So really, really a neat tree and not probably not very well known. So one to look for. Yeah, and I wonder if it's just because it's the eventual size is going to be a little large for people. Yeah, but I've, I've seen it used as a backyard um, tree. There was one in actually in Tacoma Park where I lived for a while in the neighbor's backyard. And it stayed quite in scale in a relatively small row house backyard. Um, it may now, after 10 years later, be slightly um, growing, outgrowing its space. But it's it's not a... a a bad choice for a fairly small garden. Nice. Yeah. So flat for, so it's yellow wood and could, do you know the, uh, Latin by? Yeah. It's Cladrastus contuchia. Okay. That's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, almost the same time as our flowering cherry trees are the saucer magnolias. Those are, you know, some of my absolute favorite especially the little girl series do you have any of those i i think you must at river farm um 
Yes, we do. We have uh, a number of different magnolias that were sort of planted as a grove um, near the gates of River Farm. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that they include a couple of saucer magnolias. Um, I used to have one in my old yard in Bethesda, but I don't have one here. Well, I think there's one flowering uh, spring tree, small tree that we haven't talked about, and that's dogwood. Yes. Um, so we can't talk about springtime without dogwood. So I have um, the Cornus wolf eyes, Cornus, uh, the Korean one, mm -hmm. and it has never bloomed for me. <laughs> wow. Every spring I go out and yell at it. No, <laughs> but, but the foliage is spectacular. So, mm -hmm. and it stayed oh. fairly small size, like under seven feet. So how old is it? I would say it's almost 10 years now. So it's been a few years. So I gave it a, like three to five, you know, you know, giving it the old college try. I might just need to move it to a little more sun is what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think that sounds like it's probably overshaded. Mm -hmm. That would be typical. Yeah, I, I have several just to the plain species uh, uh, flowering dogwood. And then I also have uh, Galaxy, which mm. is one of the large, the large flowered ones which is really pretty um so that's that's relatively new so it's still it's small and hasn't reached its peak of uh flowering and no um disease issues with those with the cornice florida um i did lose one uh a couple of years ago that was probably anthracnose mm -hmm. um but the other ones are, are hanging in there at this point there they're partly shaded um, basically from my neighbor's trees. And so I think they're getting kind of a nice combination of sun and shade. Yeah, that would hopefully protect it a bit. Yeah, I think that the a little bit of sun in the morning, but protection from afternoon sun seems to be the key. Yes. Yeah, but that... they definitely do better with some sun, on, uh, unlike the ones in the wild, which are almost all in, in fairly deep shade. And very sporadic blooming if, if you do come across mm -hmm. them in local parks. I do see them, you know, in little pockets around the CNO Canal um, paths, but not not as much as you used to. Yeah, I think they definitely suffered from the ravages of the, the disease in the wild. And so it is sad that we don't see them as much anymore. Yeah, but there are the new introductions and like you, like you said, galaxy and some of the cornus cusa and then some of the hybrids that are coming in. Um, at least we can enjoy those in our gardens. So, uh, well, I want to thank you, David, for joining me for this episode. And I wanted to have you um, give our listeners again, how they can join AHS and access some of um, the AHS online. Sure. I'm, and I'm very glad to join you. Um, just anyone who's interested in learning more about uh, membership in uh, the AHS can go to our websites, www.ahsgardening.org, or just Google American Horticultural Society. And we have plenty of information about joining there. Um, you'll also be able to find out about our River Farm headquarters. Um, and once uh, everyone's able to move around again, I hope uh, you'll come and visit us out there and, and see the, the grounds for yourselves. Um, but certainly we, we uh, would love the support of anyone who's uh, interested in, in joining, becoming a member or uh, even volunteering. So 
Well, thank you, David. I'm definitely looking forward to my list is a short one of when I get out (laughs) of confinement. But one of the top three is to get over to River Farm for springtime. Good. Well, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Kathy. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter by going to anchor.fm backslash Kathy gents backslash support. For as little as 99 cents a month, you can become a listener supporter and we'll give you a shout out in a future episode. Another way to support Garden DC is to go to washingtongardener.com and subscribe to Washington Gardener Magazine. The late, great Henry Mitchell. For a recent meeting of our local garden book club that I moderate, we read and discussed Henry Mitchell's On Gardening. I'm a bit young to have read his column in the Washington Post while he was in his prime, but I dimly remember seeing his Any Day columns, which were more general essays and not garden-related. He passed away in 1993, and his Earthman columns were collected and published posthumously because he didn't see much worth in gathering them himself. How wrong he was. His writings stand up as well today as the moment they were written. His humor and wisdom are charming and engaging. Reading him, you feel like you're right at his desk having a personal conversation. I feel deprived to have never met Henry Mitchell in person and been able to discuss our mutual interests and debate our differences. One of those differences in opinion is his dislike of the bank of forsythia shrubs designed by Beatrice Farrand at the Dumbarton Oaks Park, which he called asinine (laughs) and said could be attributed to a designer who had run, I quote, out of taste, brains, style, and sympathy with plants. Shocking. <laughs> Personally, that hillside, when it is at its yellow carpeted peak, I like it. But we have many passions and plants still in common. One main mutual love was for backyard water gardening. I found no less than 28 references in his small book to growing hardy water lilies and his small urban pond. How I would have loved to hear him opine about all those new water lily introductions available to us today. Mainly, what he and I share is more a love of the actual gardening and less a focus on the actual results. My favorite book quote is, It is not the little scene immediately before us, but the rich, complex, and often painful scenes accumulated years before that make gardening such a passion with some people. In other words, it's all about the process. Great writing can make you recognize yourself, and it can also change your life. Henry Mitchell's columns did that, and still does, for many people. May his peony plot in heaven be ever full of blooms. Plant Profile Pansy and Viola. Pansies and violas are easy care flowers that thrive in cool weather and add a bright spot to garden beds and container plantings. 
These aren't your grandmother's old-fashioned flowers. Pansies and violas now come in dozens of colors, color combination, bloom sizes, and growth habits, from mounding types to trailing. Recent introductions have also improved their cold tolerance and blooming vigor as well. There are more than 500 known species of violas, and they are indigenous to every continent except Antarctica, according to Barbara Malera of HarvestingHistory.com. By the way, did you know the difference between a pansy and a viola? Though pansies are generally larger than violas, it is actually the petal count and position that differentiates them. Pansies have four petals pointing upward and only one pointing down. Violas have three petals pointing upward and two pointing down. Pansies and violas, also known as Johnny Jump Ups, can be started from seed in the fall for spring blooms or in the spring for summer and fall blooms. Pansies and violas are perennials that are hardy from zone 3 to 9, though they are short-lived plants and are usually treated as cool season annuals. They prefer a highly composted, evenly moist soil, and they bloom best in full to part sun. They go dormant in the heat of the summer and coldest parts of the winter, but will begin to bloom again when the weather is more temperate in spring and fall. Give them a slow-release fertilizer mixed into the soil when planting them or add it as a top dressing after planting. The best time to fertilize pansies and violas is in the early spring and again in late summer as they come out of their dormancy for fall blooming. To keep them looking their best, deadhead them regularly, that is, remove the spent flowers and stems. When they become leggy and overgrown, you can cut back the whole plant to a couple of inches high to rejuvenate it. In the winter, lightly mulch around the plants and keep them watered. If they are in a container, it is especially important to not let them dry out in the harsh winter winds. Great companions to pansies and violas are snapdragons and sweet alyssum. Pansies and violas, you can grow that. In the garden this week, despite the blustery winds and 50 mile an hour gusts, I was able to get over to our community garden plot a couple days this week. I did a little bit of weeding, checked on the progress of our lettuce, spinach, beets, and pea seedlings. Everything's doing fine. Um, the kale and spinach, though, actually bolted after an 80 degree day earlier this week. So I cut off those flower stalks, tucked them under a cover cloth and then cross my fingers that the freeze we're expecting this evening won't touch them too badly. Our radishes are, are developing, and I dug a few of those for Easter brunch. Um, I didn't get a chance to start any new seeds, but I did see that the strawberries are flowering and got a couple bites from some asparagus spears. Back at home in my ornamental garden, the lilacs are coming on wonderfully. Redbud is in its glory. I have my early double tulips. Double tulips are my favorite kind of tulips, by the way. Sometimes they're described as peony tulips. Um, so I cut a couple bouquets of those for indoors. My daffodils are pretty much ending. Grape hyacinth are still looking great. And I have a few other minor bulbs around the place that are about to start blooming like the camassia. Hostas are only about mm, three to five inches tall at this point, so not fully leafed out, but everything else is looking pretty good as I make my way around, slowly weeding the beds and cleaning out last fall's leaves. 
I hope your garden is looking great these days and that you're getting out and able to enjoy some of this beautiful spring weather we've been having. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.